this is Jeff Cobra, and we welcome you to this Disney Insights podcast. Glad to have you join us. On April 3rd, the Walt Disney Company held its 2023 shareholder meeting. This meeting included recorded and live portions, plus a question and answer session. We look at the highlights of that presentation and what it means for Disney moving forward. Difficult issues were put on the docket, and more than just responding to them, Bob Iger, as a CEO, set a tone for the shareholder meeting in a way that was positive, non-defensive, and hopeful. And there was a big message about the future investment of the company in Walt Disney World to the tune of $17 billion. If you want to know what the Walt Disney Company is all about, On this, their 100th anniversary, then this may be the podcast for you. Join us as we look at insights from Disney's 2023 shareholder meeting. Remember that this podcast, as all of them, are uh, sponsored by Performance Journeys, which provides learning and development solutions programs and classroom experiences and online tools and a host of ways to improve your organization. So if you really want insights to how great organizations can improve your, how lessons from great organizations can improve your organization, check out Performance Journeys. We have so much there to offer. I should also note that remember that Disney Insights is brand new. It is an offshoot, or not an offshoot, but it is originally Disney at Work and Play. We created a more succinct title to hopefully better um, attract everyone. But we think that this podcast in particular does a great job of living up to its title. It's providing not just a review of what happened at the shareholder meeting, but giving some insights about what it means and and where Disney is going. And so without further ado, let's go through what was the annual shareholder meeting. There was initially an opening video. And by the way, shareholder meetings have, of course, they are very different than they were even a handful or 10 years ago where they would declare some site. Um, in the early days, it would always be California or Florida, and often they gave everybody a ticket to go to the parks afterwards. Then it kind of evolved to, under the Eisner era, to let's go to really remote places in the Midwest where we are likely to have a lot of critics show up. And so these physical gatherings were held there. But because of COVID and the pandemic, it has become much more of really a virtual experience with some live portions to it. The first initial part of it was very much a um, a uh, video portion. There was an opening video which celebrated Disney's 100th anniversary. And then... It went into a presentation that Bob Iger gave via video where he was stationed in front of Cinderella Castle at Walt Disney World. Um, And moving through different parts of the Walt Disney World Resort, he really focused on a lot of what was happening in parks worldwide, 
but moreover, it used it as a jumping off point for media and content. And that was a departure from a lot of previous shareholder meetings, which oftentimes let's hear from content, let's hear from the networks, let's hear from the parks. And it was very much a separated out presentation. This was really um, a focus on the parks and how the content either served or was benefited from the kind of experiences the parks were delivering. Um, for instance, he spoke of Tron, which was opening up on April 4th, which is the day after the shareholder conference. He did note that the story is quote unquote, far from over. Um, not saying that there was new films or new content, but clearly, you know, the fact that now there are two Tron coasters worldwide, there is more reason to really build that brand and create um, more content in the future. There was a big focus on, um, well, he said um, as he jumped over to Shanghai Disney, he said, you cannot believe the spectacular technological innovations, quote unquote, that will be part of Zootopia when it premieres later this year. Um, then he tied to the Zootopia shorts on Disney Plus and to a new Zootopia film. Why that's important is because, again, there's belief that Zootopia could come to Disney's Animal Kingdom. And so the idea that this is really going to be something different, something spectacular, this is very much a kind of, uh, this is not a land. It's really a jumping off point out of fantasy land. It's kind of, kind of in the same way that you get um, a, a jumping off point to New Orleans from Frontierland. It's in that kind of vein. Um, and so in that regard, uh, Zootopia is its own district, its own little section, but there's a lot that's within that that's taking place right now. And, and they emphasize that. They went over to Lighthouse Point and talked about the Disney Cruise Line, of course, talking about the newly acquired cruise ship that's going to sail out of Singapore. I mentioned that in my last previous podcast from the Flower and Garden Festival. Very excited about that. Um, taking off from Singapore, that's in 2025. Um, the, the added to that was the idea that Lighthouse Point was going to open next year in 2024, and that would be another destination for the Disney Cruise Line, in the same spirit that folks have had an opportunity to go to Castaway, Cay, Castaway Key. Um, and so they talked about that aspect of it. They talked about, he came, um, he sh uh, showcased himself in front of Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind and tied that to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 coming out on May 5th. So that's just a little bit more than a month from now. And they did a promo um, video of that film and what it looked like. But again, everything is constantly being tied to the parks, to Disney Plus, the parks, to films. Everything has a tie. In this case, he also went and walked 
Journey of Water Inspired by Moana. You could see some of that land. And uh, Bob Iger walked through that section of the park. You could see signage, which was emphasizing learning points on how water would play a key role or plays a key role in our world today. Um, quote, he said it, quote, marks the completion of our spectacular transformation of Epcot as we conclude the 50th anniversary celebration of Walt Disney World, end of quote. Um, people were a little confused. They were like, well, what happened to Communicore and all those other aspects that are part of the spine? And by the way, a couple of podcasts ago, people were, I think, I didn't have as many people listen to this podcast because I talked about his Epcot spine. But it's that section that goes right from Spaceship Earth all the way down to World Showcase. And there is, in that podcast, a lot of discussion about why things are the way they are, why Harmonious became what it is, why Communicore has become what it is, and all of that. And you definitely want to listen to that podcast. If you haven't had a chance, you may want to go to that one after this one. Um, but what I thought was interesting about it is he didn't say it was the conclusion of the transformation of Epcot. He called it the conclusion of the transformation of Epcot as it related to the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World, which technically ended a couple of days ago. In fact, tonight is uh, the beginning of, or the re-beginning, re-rebirth of Happily Ever After at the Magic Kingdom, as well as... Um, um, Epcot Forever, which is taking the place of Harmonious. I talked about Harmonious going away last in the previous podcast. Um, any rate, he used all of that as a segue to an announcement of a live-action version of Moana made uh, by Dwayne Johnson with his little girls out in Hawaii. And it was really kind of cool because um, Dwayne talked about how um, the spirit of Maui was connected to his grandfather and how he saw his grandfather and, and um, how personal the film and the character meant to him. Now, not announced during this time was a Moana addition to Disney's Animal Kingdom. But when you see a live action coming out on this, and I have no reason to believe this could not be successful. I think it will be very successful. I'm thinking to myself that um, this only increases the possibility that um, a Moana edition could come to Disney's Animal Kingdom as well as the Journey of Water experience, which was showcased during this. Um, then he goes on to talk about some other things, such as a $100 million initiative to bring Disney characters into the children's hospital experience to include here in Central Florida. I'm kind of proud of that because back in the 90s, we started what was called Disney's approach to healthcare, and we really worked to partner with Celebration, and I think it all ultimately led to a partnership with Advent um, to really... And, and we actually have done a lot of work. Jefferson Memorial Hospital out in the, I want to say, New Orleans and, and several other hospitals which have transformed their patient experience based on what they've learned from Disney. In this case, Disney has invested a lot of money in bringing the Disney characters into interactive and playful experiences to children's hospitals. 
Very, very cool. He talked about also, um, uh, well, I'll talk a little bit more about Make-A-Wish later on. I should note that there were several proposals that were put forward uh, four by the company um, that were approved and three that were brought forward by Disney shareholders. Um, one dealt with Disney's involvement with politics from China. Um, another dealt with what he called, quote unquote, stupid policies around gay agendas and abortion. Uh, finally, a third dealt with the same issue, but from an opposite point of view, showing that Disney had carelessly given political funds toward organizations that were sponsoring those anti-abortion and anti-gay um, initiatives. And and um, any rate, all three of those proposals, which usually when they are proposed by individuals, they are usually turned down given the block of voting that occurs out there. In many ways, there were some really valid issues at the heart of those three proposals brought forward, um, many of which over the years I've discussed on this website and podcast, I am definitely a big believer in transparency. I think Disney does get themselves in a lot of trouble when they start um, giving monies to um, uh, political candidates. I think you just get yourself in a lot of trouble there. But I also have to say that the presentations by those individuals when given their two minutes or whatever to present were fairly demeaning and derogatory. I felt that the tone was was not was not in a, presented in a way that really was getting people on board. And I think that was unfortunate because they do represent some issues that need to be addressed. Now, part of this presentation, by the way, um, that came forward was the idea of, of approving the board of directors who were presented for approval. And in DisneyInsights.com, I have actually provided a grid showing all of the individual board of directors. Now, I have been critical. Talk about one of the things I've been critical over the years is that it was not as diverse as it needed to be. And I have to say they have done a terrific job of creating a more diverse a portfolio of of um, of directors to the board. I think that's very positive, but even more than just um, in terms of people's heritage or backgrounds, their diversity in important issues, their diversity in, in experiences being CEOs or CFOs, their experience in things like brand marketing and retail management, direct-to-consumer expertise, technology and innovation, diversity, cybersecurity. I mean, you could see a range of issues being really represented here. And I think I have to applaud the work that's been done. If I could only say, I feel like what is missing is someone who represents the heritage of the company, who sees the value of creativity and and even animation and film and parks. I feel like that's a missing component, but I have to applaud what is there and the efforts that have been put uh, toward it. Now we get to some of the most interesting aspects 
of this annual shareholders meeting. This is the part where questions and answers. And I remember watching one of these at Disney's Contemporary years ago when I first arrived on the scene and seeing people line up to ask questions and answers. Here it's all done by the phone. Uh, several individuals, having listened to many of these shareholder meetings, several individuals surprisingly were people, even really fans, who had had the privilege to ask questions at previous shareholder meetings prior. I, I thought that was interesting because you would think there'd be a pretty big lineup of people wanting to, wanting to ask questions. Some of those were advocates, some were uh, fairly confrontative in their approach, but any rate, uh, one question was asked about buying some one billion in content assets from Netflix and others. The highlight of that was the caller suggesting that, um, and, and, and by the way, I should say, Bob Iger did a good job of defending the purchase of those things from Netflix, said they had a great relationship with Netflix, but they needed that in order to help. They needed that content, those, those videos, those films, in order to really support the launch of Disney+. Plus. But, um, but, he, but one of the best parts of that was that the caller suggested at the outright that Disney should negotiate with Universal in getting Marvel rights east of the Mississippi as conversations um, occur in selling Hulu. So I, I thought that was an interesting thing. If you come back to it uh, a number of years ago, Bob Iger actually negotiated the return from Universal of um, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit when an ESPN uh, commentator was negotiated in um, in a particular situation with with NBC. So I think, hey, I'd love to see Marvel. I'd love to see Disney get more Marvel rights, and so would Bob Iger. One pass holder um, has labored for years. He, he notes that he was one of the first to really emphasize and establish and plead for a premier passport. And if you're not familiar with the premier passport, um, everybody's familiar with annual passports, but for many years, since about 2010, maybe nine or eight, um, there has been a premier passport, which gives you access every single day of the year, not just to Walt Disney World, but to the Disneyland Resort. And I wanna say that my first ones, I've probably had eight, at least eight of them over the years. And I'd say the first one that I ever got was probably in the seven eight hundred dollar range, which seemed like a lot of money. By the time I left it, it was well above. Um, it was it was approaching two thousand in terms of the cost of that thing. But what happened is, as COVID came along, as pandemic came along, as changes in the pass holder pass annual passes came along, that was completely. Uh, ended and that pass was no longer available and so he began uh, he tried one year unsuccessfully he got disconnected in the in the annual report called and then last year he tried to uh, talk to Chapek about it and Chapek didn't know anything about it so he came forward and what was so funny about this is Bob Iger said that when he came on board he anticipated that maybe somebody would ask him that question <laughs> and had asked others um to share with them why there wasn't still a premier passport. 
And the answer given was that there is such a small percentage utilizing the passport that it didn't warrant or justify the cost or overhead. Now, in my view, DVC members, for instance, loved um, that passport if they went back and forth to Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Um, fans like myself, those who cover Disney, we all loved the premiere. I thought there were a lot of people actually had a premiere passport. On the other hand, I also have to say that the premier passport, there were many times I would get to a gate and the get and the cast member had no idea what my pass was. And I remember trying to purchase or renew a passport and the pain it was because it was a different um, ticketing system that printed out a sort of credit card like thing that gave you this passport. It was painful to obtain. And I remember waiting like 45 minutes to get a new one printed and handed to me at the Disneyland Resort. So I, I, I do kind of see that the system was um, painful and it didn't accommodate. If you're not familiar, ticketing and passport systems at Disneyland are different from Walt Disney World. At any rate, long and short is it's not coming back. So I think that caller was fairly disappointed. There were questions about Disney's relationship to the Florida state government in the last year and its effect not only on the Reedy Creek Improvement District, but also on shareholder value. Um, Bob Iger utilized this opportunity to say, quote, we love the state of Florida. And then went on to note that the relationship over time has really truly been a two-way street that benefited both. Um, he noted that the company may not have handled the particular issue very well a year ago when, when this all started up, but that he also still felt strongly that the company had a constitutional right to express what they believed. And it seemed really wrong to Iger um, that, that the company would be punished for having expressed that um, belief. To him, the efforts from the governor's office sounded not only anti-business, but anti-Florida. Bob Iger then noted the 75,000 um, employees, cast members, live in Florida, and 50 million visitors are brought in, well, were, are being brought in this year alone, including 8 million internationally. He also noted and this is where it got really interesting. He also noted that Disney is currently planning on investing $17 billion in Walt Disney World over the next 10 years. Those investments, he stated, will create 13,000 new jobs and thousands of indirect jobs, as well as attracting more tourists and even more taxes. To that end, he noted, by the way, that Disney is the largest taxpayer in the state. He said, quote, any action that thwarts these efforts simply to retaliate is, again, anti-business and anti-Florida. Um, end of quote. So um, I really thought he did a great job of addressing um, Disney and the state of Florida and where we're at. And by the way, um, already the governor's office has come forward since that um, event and has said that they are going to run a probe based on what occurred. What happened last week is the board met and the board declared in that meeting 
that it, the new board uh, declared that they had come to a realization that in the meeting prior to their being put in, that Disney had cleared the way for them to be able to do a great many things um, that uh, would not require board approval in the future, including building new parks and resorts and so forth. And, uh, and so the new board felt like uh, this seemed um, unethical, but in truth, Disney has come forward and said, look, we are following Sunshine's laws in Florida. We are being open. We are being transparent. In fact, you can download, I've, I've perused the 154 page um, document that overviews this down to exactly, you know, what plot of land from f this foot to that foot, from this corner to that corner. It goes into enormous detail. And the fact of the matter is the governor's office paid no attention to this because they were more into the politics of this than the realities of running a business. And Disney, you know, knew how to put this kind of thing in play. Is there going to be more legal battles? Oh, you better believe there are a lot of legal battles, but I think they were coming anyway. And yet here is Bob Iger and Bob Iger is simply saying, I don't get this. We should have a constitutional right to express what we believe. We are the largest taxpayer in Florida. You are, you are um, picking on us essentially is what he's, he's intonating. And that, you know, we bring a lot to the state of Florida. Now, having said all of that, let's just go to this little $17 billion number because this is a fascinating little number. What can $17 billion buy you at Walt Disney World? Keep in mind, for instance, that a brand new resort at, um, at Shanghai Disney five years ago cost you north of $5 billion. So that gives you an idea, but they had to start from the ground up and uh, they spent decades trying to get there. So, but that gives you a little bit of context as to what a brand new theme park costs. Uh, um, uh, an attraction like um, Guardians of the Galaxy, Cosmic Rewind supposedly uh, cost around half a billion dollars. Um, resort hotels can easily cost three, four um, hundred uh, million dollars. Um, a big fireworks show like Harmonious could be north of one hundred million dollars. So there, and mind you, in they're trying to give you a big number here. No question about that. To say, hey, we're spending a lot, so leave us alone. And in, in essence, is the message here. And probably many of, much of that money is improvements. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple of billion just in refixing up hotel rooms across property. Um, and you have a lot of infrastructure that you have to keep up and so forth. I'm sure that 17 billion is involved with that. But it is exciting to think that Disney moving forward could have another infusion of, of investment. Um, over the next 10 years is what was cited for that. Now, mind you, anything announced, it's going to take the next four or five years just to build anything currently announced, and it's not anywhere near $17 billion. So you better start announcing and start constructing if you're going to get something done by 10 years. But notwithstanding, that was actually probably one of the most exciting pieces of news from the entire um, shareholder meeting. 
is what the possibilities might be there. Going on to the questions and answers, one caller noted that Disney ought not get involved in political matters. Bob emphasized as CEO of the company, he feels he needs to do what's best for his cast members. He said Disney can't weigh on every issue. He also noted and agreed some issues are gray. But he feels that when he does take a position, there's, there should be a true reason why, largely because it affects in some way the guests they serve or the cast members. He noted that many companies weighed in during the civil rights period and even back to World War II by either supporting or by standing by the side and not supporting those efforts. So it doesn't seem unfamiliar to him or seem unusual to him that Disney should um, emphasize particular issues that are important to its guests and its cast members. One cast member, Chris, talked about how he and his mother were really supported by benefits provided at Disney, particularly healthcare benefits that they received and how much that had made a difference. Um, his, his mother was also a cast member of, I think, 17 years. Bob Iger shared how there had been for some time emphasis on childcare, but there had not been issues related to aging and that the issue really hit home to Bob Iger as he lost his father and his mother um, was dealing with Alzheimer's. So that was a nice little, nice little moment. Again, an individual who's called before and who still works uh, for the company. Two final callers emphasized in a negative and then a positive manner, Disney's emphasis on activities related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. The former disagreed that the company has rights to take political stands, especially as it relates to LG, um, LGBTQ+. He felt that the stock value dropping and the layoffs were tied to Disney's involvement with that. Um, and he gave some very out there examples of Disney's involvement there. Iger responded respectfully but put some perspective on the stories that emphasize the right values of family and friendship, that good conquers evil, and that there is a bright and better day tomorrow. Iger noted that he is sensitive to the idea that stories should be entertainment-driven, not agenda-driven. And I think that's going to be an important emphasis moving forward, that stories should be about entertaining and inspiring others, not about accomplishing an agenda. And Iger wants parents to trust Disney while fostering greater acceptance, understanding, and hope. Then the latter caller was thrilled with those same efforts to be more diverse and commended the company, particularly in the selection of a more diverse board. She felt that Disney did great things in serving the underserved in the world, throughout the world. Well, finally, in summary, um, during this entire presentation, Disney noted that it will grant this year their 150,000th wish through Make-A-Wish. It's one of many nonprofits that they are tied to. By the way, I finally, my last Disney sou souvenir from the 50th anniversary was to stand in line and get my 50th anniversary license plate for my car. I had ordered one well over a year ago, like a year and a half ago. Um, the proceeds from these license plates go to make a wish. I had ordered uh, what was like a $140 one that had um, that had special 
um, recognition to my companies on the back in, in terms of acronyms spelled out on the license plate. I learned after a year of dealing with them back and forth that actually that was a bogus company that had taken my money. So I grieved over that for a long time and finally gave in on the last day of Disney's 50th, Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary and just stood in line and bought a, a generic license plate. But I got a license plate. And all that money is going toward Make-A-Wish. He says one out of two wishes granted in the U.S. are actually Disney wishes and that the first wish was over 40 years ago at Disneyland. So Disney is proud of the positive role they've made in the world. And then summarizing it, Bob Iger shared that Disney's longevity, looking at the 100th anniversary, is rooted in a strong foundation of creativity and deep emotional connection that generations of fans and audiences have forged uh, with um, their stories and characters. Audiences want to see themselves and the very best of humanity reflected in the stories that Disney tells. And that's why their on-screen heroes are guided by kindness, understanding, respect, and optimism. And it's also why Disney strives to incorporate those ideals in everything they do. As he stated, it is such a privilege to be part of an institution that brings so much joy to the young and as we say, the young at heart. And then he concludes that section by saying, I am confident that Disney's brightest days are yet to come. Well, I hope this gives you a sense of what happened at the annual shareholders meeting. There's so much more to come. Ideally, 17 billion worth to come. A lot more happening in the days to come and we are going to provide it to you here at Disney Insights. So please make sure that you subscribe to this podcast, that you subscribe to um, our website, DisneyInsights.com and also to our YouTube page, Disney Insights, so that you can see um, new uh, content and stories and, um, and material as we present it to you. Also, make sure that when you are at the website to check out our Wayfinder Society. Yeah, that's kind of tied to that Moana thing. Will you remember Wayfinding? It's the idea that we are going to follow the compass of our hearts in learning and experiencing more Disney. And we provide a number of tools that you want to check out and sign up for so you could be a part of it. Finally, as we do say in every podcast, we hope that you will always follow the compass of your heart and that you have a great day. We'll see you real soon. More to come. Thanks.